You're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. Welcome to a new three-part podcast series on the war in Ukraine. My name is Bogdan Litvinenko, and I'm a graduating journalism student at Concordia University reporting on original war stories. In this episode, we follow the journey of a family that escaped from Kharkiv after Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24, 2022. We trace their steps all the way to Canada and learn about what happened when they got here. Before the war, Olena Martinova and her husband Artur had a successful towing and car repair business. Their daughters, aged 5 and 11, were growing up happy, going to school and to gymnastics lessons. Life was good. They had no plans to leave. But a few weeks before the invasion, Martinova's spidey sense started tingling. The news was full of military experts predicting that a full-scale war was imminent. The United States then started ordering diplomatic staff to evacuate. All signs were pointing to war, but it still seemed impossible. And before she knew it, the unthinkable happened. On the day when it all began, it was very loud. My husband didn't believe it. He said it must be fireworks after I woke him up. Our kitchen window was open so I could hear everything and I woke up right away. And so I'm telling him, what kind of firework could it be at 5 a.m.? Martinova remembers seeing the red sky from afar from her high-rise apartment in a neighborhood called Saltivka, just outside of downtown Kharkiv. According to Ukraine's Ministry of Defense, 70% of all the buildings in her area have been damaged or destroyed by Russian shelling. Of course it was scary. We didn't know in which direction we could drive as we heard explosions from all sides. No one could tell which way was the safe way out of the city. We all left for the private sector to our parents' house for three days. And why did we leave? Because we knew that if the Russians were to enter the city while our apartment was facing the highway that led straight to Russia, God forbid they'd start shooting right at our building. The family left Kharkiv on the fifth day of the war, when Russian fighter jets started bombing their area. When the fighter jet dropped a bomb in my parents' district, the ceiling started falling, cracks had formed, and this all happened at 3 a.m. All we could see from the windows was the color, orange from the flash. My children started to get sick after spending two days in the basement, and after those fighter jets, we realized, that's it, it's time to go. In that moment, the family decided to leave and head to Canada. It would be a long, potentially treacherous road. The first leg of the journey involved a 1,000-kilometer drive to the Polish border. For five days, the family drove with the sound of air raid sirens screeching in the air for hours at a time. Martinova says they relied on volunteers and generous locals to give them food and shelter along the way. Only problem, by the time they were planning to cross over to Poland, Martinova's husband was not allowed to leave. Early on, the Ukrainian government banned men between the ages of 18 and 60 from leaving the country in order to bolster their military resistance. Only single fathers, men with three or more children or those with disabilities, were allowed out. Martinova's husband was visually impaired and needed documents to prove it. But that proof was back home in Kharkiv. So at that point, the family made the extremely difficult choice to separate. 
So he had to go back all the way to Kharkiv to confirm the records about his eye surgery that was done more than 10 years ago. So he went to Kharkiv when the city was being actively shelled. But since we were running out of money to move abroad, we could also sell what we owned back home. So there was no other option but to go back. In the meantime, Martinova started filling out paperwork for a special work-study visa created by the Canadian government for those affected by the Russian invasion. But she still had to get to Warsaw to reach the Canadian visa center along with her two children. So Martinova planned to leave with family friends who were also at the border. But that family was also turned away. The father was not let through since they had two children and the mother was still pregnant with the third. Despite being eight months pregnant, border security said they can cross with three children only when the third one is born, with a birth certificate. Of course I was in shock. I thought I would at least be more calm if my friends came along. Left alone with her two little girls and three suitcases, Martinova decided to keep going and cross into Poland. They were taken to Warsaw on a bus organized by the Red Cross, straight to the refugee center in the capital where they could rest and plan their next move. In total, Poland welcomed more than 1.6 million Ukrainian refugees in the past year, more than any other European nation, according to the UNHCR. Martinova recalls that while refugee centers provided priceless support to her family, they were filled beyond capacity and many people were sick and coughing in crowded spaces. Before long, Martinova decided to continue on with the girls to Germany, first to Berlin and then to Bonn. Her husband would join them shortly afterwards, after successfully leaving Ukraine and driving for three days straight to get to Germany. And seven months later, the family was approved for entry to Canada. By the time we received the visa, we were already set for Canada. And exactly a day after we got it, a missile landed in Poland. And that's when we realized, God, it's not safe even in Poland. We need to urgently, urgently, urgently leave. So we started looking for flights and found the lowest prices from Paris. So we took a train again, now from Bonn to Paris, and paid 1,200 euros to fly. After everything we went through, nothing was scary to us anymore. And on December 2nd, almost a year after the war began, Martina and her family landed in Montreal. They arrived late at night and had no idea where to go. But within minutes of getting off the plane, the family was greeted by a team of volunteers from the Centre Social des Deux Immigrants, CSAI, who helped them find temporary housing in the city. According to the government of Quebec, nearly 6,800 Ukrainians were welcomed at the Trudeau airport between last April and January 2023. They coordinated with the Red Cross and gathered all Ukrainians from our flight called for a taxi, paid for everything, and took us to Hilton on Dekari Boulevard, where many Ukrainians were staying. It's a really good hotel, and if I'm being honest, we were astonished. Once the initial shock wore off, volunteers helped the family to register for government health insurance, subsidies, and French-language courses. When the Red Cross asked me about my family's situation and what hotspot we came from, I started tearing up and my nerves simply gave out. Right away they gave us money for food, about $220 per week, which was more than enough for our family. Our hotel room also had a kitchen, so I could cook there and we even had breakfast included. Burgers, juices, yogurt, fruits. 
All Ukrainians who arrive under the same emergency visa program receive financial aid from the federal government. Each adult is eligible for a one-time payment of $3,000, while families with children get an additional $1,500 per child. Within a month, Martinova's family found their first apartment, even though there was no official deadline for them to vacate the hotel. She says knowing they would have a place to stay no matter what made everything so much easier. Her husband soon found work as a mechanic, and the children started getting used to their new environment. In less than a year, their lives have become radically different, and the realization has set in. They will never return to Kharkiv. It's hard to describe with words everything we went through. It's so scary, especially since Russia isn't going anywhere and will continue being Kharkiv's neighbor regardless of the circumstances. No. We're not even considering that option. We still have a lot of real estate there. Our parents are there. Our home is there. But no. Two days after we left Kharkiv, even the highway we took was already being shelled. I just want to forget that, as if it was a nightmare. And this was incredibly scary for the children. That moment when it was all happening, especially the fighter jets, it was horrifying. The family is now focused on building a new life in Canada and credits incredible community support with their smooth transition. For example, La Terrasse Ukrainian Newcomer Center in Côte d'Ange is a major donation hub inside the Terrasse Royale Hotel that aims to put thousands of Ukrainian refugees back on their feet. The group offers warm jackets, jeans, shirts and shoes of all sizes as well as blankets, pillows, kitchenware and toys for children. The project is self-funded by two Ukrainian Montrealers, Igor Ezreal and Olga Sakhnina, who said in an interview with the City magazine that they would keep the center open for as long as there is enough demand. The center has about 20 volunteers who speak Ukrainian and Russian to help people find jobs and homes, sort through immigration paperwork, schedule medical appointments, basically anything that a family might need. These volunteers also teach English and French classes and offer IT courses specifically for children. There's even a designated area for seniors over the age of 65 who can play board games and socialize with each other. And Montreal's support for Ukrainians does not end there. Besides humanitarian aid, many Ukrainian refugees, especially those who escaped from hotspots such as Mariupol, also need emotional and psychological support to heal from their war trauma. The Quebec branch of the Ukrainian National Federation has created a partnership with McGill University to help. Since November, the Ukrainian Wellness Program offers dance therapy sessions for newcomers with traumatic experiences, allowing them to release the stress through movement while dancing to relaxing music. There's also individual psychological support provided by licensed therapists, as well as art therapy sessions for children. These are the children who were running under air raid sirens less than a year ago and remember very clearly what the Russian invasion looks like firsthand. Having been embraced by strangers from her first days in Canada, Martinova says she will be forever grateful. Even compared to Germany, the support we received in Canada was much greater. Help was coming from all sides. I was honestly shocked. People called and did the paperwork for us. We didn't have that in Germany. Here, everyone is helping. Everyone is so open, always smiling. One school worker even gave me her personal number and said, call me whenever you need help, and said, Ukrainians are cute.
So now, after traveling for 10 months and crossing 7,500 kilometers, Martinova is ready to settle and start a new life with her family under a peaceful Canadian sky. While still thinking every day of her hometown Kharkiv and its heroic resistance. In the next episode of this series, we will hear from a Ukrainian journalism student who narrowly escaped the bombardment of Mariupol, as well as disinformation expert Craig Silverman, who has been monitoring Russian news media and its strategies for years. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bogdan Litvinenko for MIGS. To find out more about help for Ukrainian newcomers, go to Concordia's online magazine, The City, at thecitymag.concordia.ca.